BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, it's one of the greatest questions in true crime. Did Michael Peterson kill his wife at the bottom of the stairs? HBO's new dramatic series goes beyond the classic documentary. We'll review the Max original, The Staircase. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And perhaps owl detective, we will say. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about that. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Also, Owl Advocate on this podcast. Uh, hi, Rebecca. <laughs> In a different way. He's an Owl Advocate. He's like he's like the Owl, like the Free the Owl Advocate, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Free the Owl. Okay. <laughs> we'll, so, <laughs> we'll get to that fight. So, Kevin, uh, this is Monday's episode of Crime Writers On. Of course, we have a second episode coming out this week on Thursday. What is coming up on that program? We're going to be talking about Netflix's hit series, Stranger Things, season four, Part one. Hmm. Well, guys, before we start the review tonight, can I just share a quick anecdote with you? Can we stop you? Well, so watching, of course, uh, The Staircase is a lot in it about sort of like, this is not, I'm, I'm just loosely segueing into the story I want to tell you. I was thinking about the fallibility of memory, right? Fuck that segue. Anyway, today on Facebook, a bunch of my old <laughs> high school friends were talking about, uh, they were talking about how um, the junior high school we all went to everyone joked that it looked like a prison. That was a building like a prison, right? Yeah. And in my mind, you know, you're, you're always like in your head, you're like, in my head, you know, the thing from your childhood, could it possibly look as much like a prison as you thought it did? Yeah. And uh, in New Hampshire, whenever we did stories about the Valley Street Jail in Manchester, I was always like, the Valley Street Jail looks so much like my junior high school. But my oh, adult God. mind is like, there's just no way that my junior high school could look nearly as much like a prison as my childhood mind thought it yeah. did so i looked up a picture of my <laughs> junior high school and i'm just going to show it to you right now i'm going to leave it up to you to decide does this like the valley street jail or not <laughs> show it to it me does, yeah. i spent a lot of years in the valley street jail oh actually yes 
It does. So hey, yes. I, I don't know how long you've been doing um, radio, hmm. but photographs don't work well, on radio for I'm the audience. To, I'm just. I'm going to encourage people to look it up, and okay. then I'm going to have you share it in the newsletter. You do but, that. I'm going to give you a pen, though. So you can write that little work bit that down. I have like a cat draped over my shoulder in no. the podcast. No, it's fun, but you know. But I will say the whole bit isn't isn't on what, what your cat looks like. I will like. say this is also a good plug decided for our newsletter okay. at CrimeWritersOn.com because there could, there will be pictures of my childhood, junior high school in Freeport, New York, in our, our newsletter, so people can sign up there and you can see for yourself that I did in fact. Go to junior high school in a building that looks an awful lot like a jail. Okay. So our new pitch for our newsletter is sign up for our newsletter and you can see what our junior high school looked like. Yes. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> All right. And I love me. I love me You're some. Right. People are like, where is that unsubscribe button yes. on that newsletter? Listen, I love me some weird mid-century modern architecture. This building, though, did not hit it. It did not. <laughs> for children. All right. Well, I, I cannot wait to talk about the series we're talking about tonight, of course. Apparently, you can wait. Oh, Kevin. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first All clip right. right now. What happened then? We, uh, we were at spine. We were, and then she came in. And then I came in. Uh, and I found her. Michael Peterson said he found his wife at the bottom of the staircase after a fatal fall. But authorities believed when Kathleen Peterson learned of her husband's double life, he beat her skull with a blow poke in a fit of rage. You didn't put in cause of death. I did. She bled out. Without skull fracture, blunt force trauma. Someone holding something caused the impact to make these wounds. That's not for me to conclude in here. You think the murder weapon just flew through the air held by no one? But with the support of his family, a top-notch defense attorney, and a French film crew documenting his every move, Peterson stood trial in a case filled with twists and revelations. Despite holes in the evidence, the jury convicted him of murder. Just look at my fucking face, David. I hear you, Mike. I hear you. No, I, I don't. I hear I, you. I don't need you to hear anything. I just need you to look at it. The longer I'm in here, the more likely it is I'm going to get killed. The Max original eight-part drama, The Staircase, starring Colin Firth and Tony Collette, takes the story beyond where its namesake documentary left off. We see Peterson's challenges in prison, his family's personal struggles, clashes over bias in the film, and yes, evidence that an owl attack accounted for Kathleen's wounds and disorientation. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first seven episodes of HBO's The Staircase. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, first off, we should acknowledge we are, in fact, talking about a fictional series and not the nonfiction documentary The Staircase. We a all know that. Yeah. But it is also a scripted fictionalized version of this case right which is something that we will be discussing so i would like you all to know <laughs> that in some of your notes as i have read ahead you are describing some of the things in this series as if you have learned things <laughs> i just want to say <laughs> we're watching a fictionalized series you guys know that right <laughs> yeah. yeah because laura your first note to me says it's hard to imagine gleaning something new from a case that's already been some explored as if you were looking for new information. So did you feel like you were going into this looking for new information? Well, I did because I was like, why would we have a dramatized version of the Staircase documentary 
if there wasn't something new to tell, like mm. why are we hearing this story unless there's a new perspective or something new? You know, like everything right now is like remade, retooled, redone. Like we've had Carol versus Joe. We've had a lot of things. And this one to me was probably one of the weirder remakes that I've seen, I think, it just in my like little worldview. Like The Staircase as a documentary I think is one of the greatest true crime documentaries in terms of showing the criminal justice system and having access to the defense team and having like this complete behind the scenes access to what was going on in this case. So I'm like, and now just because like Colin Firth and Tony Collette are here, we're doing like another version. I, I guess. Yeah. So I guess I was hoping to learn something new. But then I'm like, is this really new or did they just make this shit up because like they're dramatizing it? So that's that's kind of what I'm coming away with. Hmm. So, Kevin, what do you think a dramatization of the staircase could and should bring to the story? Well, I mean, if you're going to dramatize a documentary, you're going to have to provide a different point of view. So it's not just like going inside, going inside. Right. Because we had we, we have the people talking and then we have, you know, the documentary crew filming the people. Now we have the dramatization of the people documenting the people talking and stuff like that. But I do appreciate that they did go beyond where the story left off in the documentary. And so we get a better view of the subsequent years, Peterson behind bars, what the struggles that his family were going through with, you know, things like sexual identity and substance abuse and, you know, just trying to find their place in the world after being through, you know, this chaotic journey. Also sort of like what happened to, you know, the, the different prosecutors and all the different people over the years. And of course, you know, bringing in the whole owl theory. So I'm not equating that we quote unquote learned that with the same as the thing that we would see in a documentary. This is a dramatization. So we can only go by that. Hmm. All right. We can't fault it for not being a documentary. Right. It is what it is. So let's deal with it on those terms. As far as my understanding of the story, the life stories here. I did learn a lot because it only really goes only halfway through it, you know, right. goes up. And I'm looking forward to the uh, the series finale on Thursday. OK, so, Toby, what do you think about this? Because you sent me a note about something that you thought was added to the story in this fictionalized version of the story. Oh, uh, well, so episode five, I think it's at the beginning where there's a discussion about whether they want to leave in a certain piece of court footage that I think calls Michael's innocence into question. I, I think it was a pretty strong piece of evidence sort of I indicting him. And you get this conversation about, do you put it in? And like, what are the consequences of putting it in? What are the consequences of not putting it in? Like, what does it mean to give kind of a balanced picture of Michael Peterson in the trial? And that if you're going to throw in this stuff about his bisexual trysts and the previous woman who died falling down a staircase in Germany, you know, are you just piling on by by putting in this court stuff? Or is that giving a more accurate version of the actual court drama and making it a little more understandable why he was found guilty? So anyway, this is what I felt was the kind of thing that it could add. Like, I think in my ideal version of it, a lot of it is about when you're watching a documentary are you getting truth or are you getting this sort of truth through a lens of somebody else trying to make a piece of entertainment that they want to keep you going 
and and have people enjoy it and stuff like that. And that's something we've talked about before. And they kind of touch on it, but it's not like a major part of this, I didn't think. Yeah, I, I agree with Toby. I, I thought that that bit was really interesting when they talk about the thyroid cartilage, perhaps strangulation, but not really. It could be. It, it certainly wasn't strong evidence, but they did have the discussion about it. And we would play the clip, except it's all in French. <laughs> True. So what's really interesting about that part, and I, you know, I don't want to like ruin it too much for you guys, is that a lot of that was fake. Because Sophie, as it turns out, this character, which is so critical in this scripted version, it turns out was one of three editors on the film. And she primarily edited, she only edited the first four episodes of The Real Staircase, all the stuff that happened before the trial. She did not touch anything that happened during the trial. And David Rudolph, in his sort of issues with the film, is that he talks about all the stuff that wasn't included in the film that would have helped Michael Peterson. And in his view, yeah, that was not, you know, that's something that wasn't included that may have been an issue for the prosecution. But there was also a witness that came in that said, no, there was no blood in Germany. And there were all these things about the Germany stuff that wasn't included in the film. That just Germany made him look very bad in the documentary. But there was all this other stuff on the record that completely erased Germany from the board and the trial that wasn't included in the film at all. But that Sophie being shown as this main editor in the film and showing this tip the scales thing, he thought John. And by the way, he's not the only one who thinks this. John Xavier de Lestrade has Huge issues with this. Because, you know, we should talk about this on the after show. Well, we will. But he has his huge issues with this are that the editing of the film itself in the scripted version is far more fictionalized than anything they could have done when editing the documentary out of the hundreds of thousands of hours of footage that they had. And I just think that's interesting. I, I actually do like the fictionalized take of it. I do. I just fear that people watching it will think, aha. That's what really happened here and not actually realize as viewers. No, that's actually fiction. This is a made up scene. Like they they wrote that scene to show that there could have been, you know, points of view here. Like that's not actually like John Xavier Lestrade didn't say, here's what happened in the film. But isn't that an actual example? I mean, whether or not Sophie was among the people who were the deciders on that I mean, there are there's something that there, didn't there end up are in dozens the film. and dozens of choices like that. Correct, but there's also other stuff that didn't end up in the film that they didn't right. include in this scripted version. You know what I mean? See, that just seems so much less objectionable than leaving out what could potentially be key parts of a trial in an actual documentary. Yep. I mean, when you're watching this, like you know that it's fictionalized. I mean, you have to. So the fact that they're combining things and simplifying things or whatever, I mean, that's just what you do in fiction. You know, they're not going to have documentary level fidelity to actual conversations that took place. Whereas in, when you're in a documentary and they talk about this in, in the staircase fiction thing is, you know, we're trying to like immerse you in the, in the American justice system but they, you know, they have to do it this way because they're not going to make you sit through like a week's long trial, like every minute of it. So they're constantly making decisions. Right. And I think, I mean, they're not super transparent about it in the documentary. I mean, you get a ton of stuff, but you never get this meta discussion of like, what are we leaving in? What are we taking out? And the fact that when they kind of fictionalize that kind of conversation in the docudrama, 
that that's objectionable. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's that that's critical. But what's objectionable about it, though, Toby, is that the woman they're talking about ended up having a relationship with Michael Peterson. That's what's objectionable. And the issue that they that, that John Xavier Lestrade has is it taints his work to imply that he would have allowed a woman who had a, later had a relationship with Michael Peterson to make decisions about which courtroom footage to put in and which courtroom footage to put out when that was not the case. Yeah, but, but you, you know, made the decision. He, he made the decision. She did not. But he made that's the decision what, in the in the. But that's the, what he he objects to the fact that it, it shows that he would let her make the decision, knowing that she had a relationship with him. That's what he objects to, and I agree with his objection. Yeah, to that. I mean that's fine. It's a it's a piece of fiction. That's I mean, true. But but I don't know if the viewer. But yeah. that's what's hard about this is that we have this documentary, which is like kind of held up in like the like upper echelons of documentaries that we've watched, and now we have a fictionalized version of it. And so for me. It is really hard to like step back and be like, oh, this is fiction and this is real because like the guy who's playing David Rudolph looks just like David Rudolph. <laughs> I'm like, I, like, I feel like it's real. And, and I'm like, I know this isn't real. So it's hard not to be like, oh, wow, how did they recreate these conversations and all this information? Because so much of it, for me, it was it was a hard thing to sort of delineate what was real and what wasn't just because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, there's like scenes that are almost exactly like the documentary being recreated here. And they've got people that look almost exactly like the people that were in the documentary. Yeah. Well, you know, but when they take a bunch of real characters and they streamline the things that they did and timelines and stuff like that and maybe put people in the room that weren't there when certain things happen, it's because they have to tell a clean story. Yep. Right? So, yeah, you do lose some things. And is the goal here to be faithful to the real-life things that happen or is this to be a docudrama and we accept it at that level and one of the things that i do like about this is that nobody comes off looking really good yeah everybody their flaws are put out there so there's really nobody here like with clean hands everybody has something not just like michael peterson but his kids and i think martha and margaret are fine I think the well, kids are fine. You see their struggles. I mean, yeah, I mean they're fine. I mean I, those struggles, I'm by the way, are largely fictionalized. Just FYI, which is a bummer, but yeah, the kids are fine. All those things sort of amped up, but nobody really. Although Sophie Turner's character, I mean, she's she really has a lot, lot thrown do. at her yet, yeah. but yeah, like it seems like there isn't anybody, including Kathleen, that doesn't come off with sort of foibles that put them in a at times a very human slash not saintly, light. And I think that, you know, sort of heightens the, uh, the drama of it. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, so Kevin, should we get some business done? Should you do your business? Yeah, how about we do that here? Uh, right start- here, do your business. Oh, start the music already. <laughs> So on the Crime Writers on After Show that you can get on Patreon, we're going to be talking a little more about the staircase and about the people in real life who are kind of upset about what they're seeing. Oh, more than we're, we talked about it in the show already? More, yeah, we're going we're gonna to bring it to the next level. Okay. We're also going to talk about news out of Minnesota. Minnesota Public Radio is planning on shutting down APM Reports. That is the group that brought us in the dark... Just a couple of Peabody Awards. That's all they did. Got a man out of prison. So, yeah, got a man out of prison. Kind of made some of the best stuff we've ever heard. Supreme Court. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about our reactions to that as well. Yes. And I have some tea that I can share. Oh, speaking of teas. Yes. Going to say that the uh, Crime Writers on Merch Shop, Mm. the $15 tea and tank sale has been extended until today, (gasps) Monday the 6th. And so select items you can get there all of our designs for 15 bucks, including, I'm going to point it out this week, the Owl Did It t-shirt. Nice. Appropriate. Appropriate for this week. Yep. Even though Toby is shaking his head. Yep. The rest of us are nodding because we know. We do. We have it all down pat. All right. So, Kevin, does that wrap up the business section? Do you want to, like, pimp our newsletter or anything? No, I don't need to do that. No, okay. if you want. <laughs> hey, but if you want to get to our uh, our store, it's uh, crime.threadless.com. Okay. All right. Does that sound the business section, Kevin? Yeah, that ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. All right. So, Kevin, before the break, you were talking about, you know, the portrayals of people in this scripted series. Now, we have Colin Firth and Tony Collette, who don't look anything like... Uh, Michael and Kathleen Peterson. But I think both their performances are great. What do you think of this? And because as Lara pointed out, the guy playing David Rudolph, Michael Stolbarg, and of course, Parker Posey, incredibly mimicking Freda Black. Her performance is unbelievable and she looks just like her. But then you have Colin Firth and Tony Collette, who look like Colin Firth and Tony Collette playing Michael and Kathleen Peterson. What do you think of their choices and, and their performances here? I'm just curious on, on your notes here oh, because yeah, no. I love them. Hold on. I'm just going to say that Colin Firth did get the same set of eyeglasses. Right? So, <laughs> you know, we're starting okay, to see well, the done. character yeah. come together. Look, no, I think um, he isn't doing an impersonation because he doesn't quite convey the quirky, self-absorbed, nature that Michael Peterson does in the documentary, right, guys? But I think that Colin Firth does give a really strong performance. So you're saying that I'm here for the rest of my life? You're just going to let this happen to me, to my kids? And what are they going to do without me? This is horseshit. Uh, there, ha- there has to be a way. I'm, there's a motion we can file or... or... There isn't, my. Tony Collette, she's not burdened by everybody knowing the speech patterns and the personality of Kathleen Peterson because she wasn't in the documentary. So she kind of has a blank slate as an actress, but I think she does great. And I will say that her corpse acting is next level. <laughs> oh, my God. The open the mouth. The death rattle. Oh, my God. The twitching leg. How about all the all the time on the slab and the photographs and... 
Yeah. That's a brave performance to sit there with your mouth hanging open it like that. It is very, yeah. very hard to watch Kathleen Peterson die yes. three times yes. in this series. So far. I found that extraordinarily difficult. Laura, did you find it difficult to watch her die three times so far in this series? I did because I was like, holy mother of God. Like it was graphic. It was realistic. It felt authentic when you were watching it. It was very well acted, but it was it was unique in the way that they showed the three different, you know, versions. We have, okay, first, she took some pills, she drank too much wine, she fell. Second, she confronts him about his secret bisexual lifestyle. He comes after her, chokes her, she falls. Third, the owl. But each one, like, think about how we usually see these things, like, reenacted. We'll see like, okay, like uh, remember Kathleen Zellner when she had her like fake blood and she real <laughs> blood and, and she was trying to like recreate a scene. This to me, I just found very effective because each time I was like, oh, yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, and we know this was not a quiet death, but holy crap, like just watching when she's like putting her like bloody palm on the wall or like the scene where like. He comes back with all the towels and she's like gurgling like and like I'm like, oh, my God. But despite all of that and the fact that I did like kind of cringe quite a bit while I was watching that, I felt like it was a really effective way to show these three scenarios. And when you watch them, for me anyway, I was in like the mindset of the person who was putting that forth as what they felt happened. Like I was like, oh, I can see how this person thinks she just got drunk and fell down the stairs. Oh, I can see how this person thinks Michael Peterson did that. Oh, I can totally see how the owl did it. Hmm. So each one to me, I could really feel like I understood why people were buying into these series, but they were hard to watch. I mean, like... They were sincere. Each of the three scenarios, they did it sincerely. Yeah. Toby, I have one thing that I really liked about the storytelling, and I don't know if you picked up on it, because I don't know if the series is doing a great job through some of the court scenes or whatever of driving it home. But there's so many layers to the state's case, you know, the financial pressures, the familial strife with her feeling like she's, you know, I, I think that the episode seven really actually probably is the episode where it sort of comes to a head, really. But there's sort of all these cues throughout about all the things going on in their lives. It sort of starts with like the bats in the pipes that sort of starts to sort of show that the veneer of their life isn't all that it seems. And then there's, you know, the scene where she comes home and he's bought a massage for her, but she sees like the lube on the dashboard. So it's clear like she already might have like some suspicions that all is not right in their marriage. Like there's a lot of like little tiny anvils along the way. The scene with the fundraiser, for instance, where it's just like very clear she's got other shit to do, not raising $10,000 for her husband because her things at her job are not fucking great. What do you think of all these like sort of small cues along the way? Because to me, Tony Collette's performance is really like what makes that stuff work. And that's really kind of what I was paying attention to the most during these sort of more like expositional parts of this series. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I guess that's another thing that you didn't see quite as much, obviously in the documentary, since they don't have footage of that stuff, but it's sort of what is the effect of Michael's self-absorption on her? So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, and you're mentioning that. I hadn't really thought about it too much. But now that you mention it, like, that's another thing. Like, I kept trying to think, it's like, what would possess somebody to make this? And when we talk about the owl, I'll got some other thoughts. 
But once you've sort of committed to doing it, it's like, what are you going to add? And I think that's one of the things. And I think, it, you know, that, that seems to me valid, you know, knowing people who are self-absorbed and then how does that affect their spouse and how does that affect the kids? The dynamic with the kids, they're not like a completely functional family, but the documentary, it just, it just seemed like very odd. Yeah. And this, it just seems sort of odd, but in a sort of homogenized docudrama kind of way. So yeah, I, I think I think that I think that's a good good point by you. Congratulations, and uh, I, well I would like to echo it. Well, thanks. I mean, it kind of comes together for me, Kevin, in that incredible scene in the Chinese restaurant, right, where she completely fucking loses it. Right. And you just wander through life, going to the gym and yelling at the dogs and spending my money promising these big, beautiful dreams like Paris, and then you don't do a goddamn thing to make them happen. I mean, I thought I married a man, and turns out all I got was a boy who is only good for getting drinks at the bar. We've seen all these things. I mean, we see the the devolution of the sons. Um, You know, what we learn about him giving up Martha as a baby because he doesn't like want to deal with her mm. well, we see Kathleen driving the sons around and like giving the money and like she really is holding their life together with tape and glue and then we see her yep. lose her entire retirement savings and fucking lose it with him at the restaurant like it was satisfying it was and then she goes home Kevin and blows all the bats out of the attic with a fucking leaf blower yeah <laughs> I loved it I loved it Jeez. <laughs> all right so and that made for good hunting ground for owls after that i think well yeah. that's what we have to talk about is the owl theory because the owl theory in real life does come into play the audubon society by the way is fully on board with the owl theory a lot of scientists are fully on board with the owl theory a lot of coroners around the country are fully on board with the owl theory the owl theory is not fringe anymore in the world of the Peterson case and in the world of sort of forensics. That's just a fact. Uh, I learned what's something that really surprised me that I learned while watching this is that Kevin is on board with the owl theory, which is a thing that I didn't actually know. I've before. always been on board I with I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm the only Toby's one who's not the on board. I didn't know Kevin was on board with it. I thought you were sort of like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I didn't realize you actually believed the owl theory. Well, I think the more that you get into it, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it isn't just sort of this thought i mean there's there's evidence that points to this possibility and again we already have this discussion about gatekeepers and showing what what is the real truth and what's not and do you put your thumb on the scale it is the one theory that accounts for all of the evidence the scratches the blood over here as well as over here the microscopic feathers in her fingers you know, along with her hair and a pine needle and the shape of the wounds that, you know, didn't break the skull. I mean, it is the one thing that accounts for all of these things. The tussle with the owl explains the scratches and pinpricks on her face, her nose, her hands. It also explains why there are no skull fractures. And it tells us why. In the examiner's report, hair was noted to be grass between the left and right hand. She was trying to fight off the owl as it got tangled in her hair. To see it dramatized as we did, again, in a very sincere way, this is how that probably could have played out if that's how it happened. I was sort of envisioned like, you know, this owl flies into the house mm-hmm. and then like, <laughs> you know, attacks it and flies away. I yeah, never thought that. Yeah. I never then, thought that. You know, the sh- and was kind of in shock and kind of, uh, you know, especially if she'd been drinking and had Valium, the shock of that. And then she, and 
then she tries to go up the stairs and she falls. How fucking unlucky you say. Let's just say it is the owl. Yeah. So Toby, I'm just asking you to suspend your disbelief for a second. How unfucking unlucky is Michael Peterson that he is such a goddamn liar? And then his wife ends up being killed by an owl. That's where your suspicion comes. That's where your complete disbelief of the owl theory comes from, right? Because he's a huge fucking liar. Yeah, and I, I, I think the what what people are willing to accept to pin it on the owl is less than you'd be willing to accept to pin it on an individual person. It's like it seems like it's like well, it could have been, and that's good enough. So I, I don't know. I think thousands and thousands and thousands of people watched the staircase and thought about it and thought this nice man, well, maybe not this nice man, this weird dude, he probably didn't do it. And what else could it have been? So we came up with the owl and people kind of jumped on it. And I, you know, it does fit like it, it works better. You know, there's a case to be made for it. I just don't know. You know, you were, who was, uh, who was uh, Sarah Koenig's producer who at the end of Dana Chivas. Yeah. At the end of serial was just like, nobody has that bad luck. Um, Dana Chivas was wrong. Dobie Dana Chivas was just like she was fucking wrong when she made that thing. Thing about it, none. Okay, so because somebody says something and it's wrong, I can never say it again. And have it possibly be right? No, Toby, you've been banished. <laughs> but everybody who winds up in jail for a crime they didn't commit is the unluckiest person in the world. Exactly. Yeah, but you, you know, know? If, if he was still in jail right now, I'd be like, yeah, sure. You know, yeah. yeah the urgency's not there. Go, go, go with the owl thing. Like if you can put on the owl, that's fine. But I don't know. And, and this is my feeling about the whole freaking thing is that if that owl theory wasn't there, I don't think they make this docudrama, right? Mm. I mean, I think I think without that, like sparking continued interest in this thing, which basically it seems like it's run its course other than that, like would they even make this? Mm. So when they get- They would, but Tony Collette wouldn't be looking up at the tree so often. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is that? But Ooh. yeah, so I just kind of felt like when it got to the owl, I was like, well, of course, like why else would you make this? Like, otherwise, what's the point? Well, I think the issue is that, like, Michael Peterson is not, to me, like, a super likable guy. Nope. And so that, <laughs> I, I'm being, I was trying to be diplomatic, but so that is the problem. So if it was, like, somebody that was, like, like, oh, you're, like, this person is, like, citizen of the year. No way they could have done this. But here you have got Michael Peterson. Like, he's got a lot of eccentricities going on. He's kind of an ass. And, you know, he lies. He's got a temper. He's got a lot of stuff. You find out like, you know, he's all excited because he's going to make like 10,000 bucks and you look at their house and you're like, yeah, he's paying for nothing. So he's not likable. So that's what makes it hard to sort of buy into the owl theory. But the other one, I I have to say, I did buy into the flashlight theory there for a little while. I was like, oh, because there is something to be said for like, all of those, like that scene where like David Rudolph puts all this, like, okay, all of these autopsies and none of these blunt force traumas have these same things and like all of them have this and that. And so there is something to be said for the unique wounds in this case. And, you know, I'm team owl because if you go online and Google owl attacks, yeah. that's what they look like. It's exactly. But like, yeah. That they look like that. But if Michael Peterson wasn't such a like dick. weirdo. He's a dick. Yeah. But remember, wait, th- these aren't his theories, though. Remember, right. he's not. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that's what makes it hard to buy into them is because you're like, oh, man, you're like, yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Um, but sometimes a and, dick didn't do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Yeah. It's like in Making a Murderer where I'm like, Stephen Avery might not be innocent, but he might not be guilty. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a jerk in the way that he comes across and portrays himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap it up. 
We got to see like the most iconic thing about the staircase and a fantastic, kind of slow, but a scene that I loved, which was sort of like the Beatles get back moment in this whole thing where we got to see these filmmakers having this big argument while the theme song from the staircase was being created by this orchestra, which was, by the way, the first time Big Cello made its appearance in true crime. And Big Cello has forever now since been the instrument from every true crime documentary ever. Okay, slower still. Yes. Kevin, was that not the most meta fucking thing ever? Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you're going to do the behind the scenes thing to, you know, this great documentary, then you shouldn't just do, you know, arguments over certain cuts. Yeah, the music is really important to our genre. Mm -hmm. And so to have a wink at that, that's perfect. And then making them do it over and over again. Again, sorry, yelling at them in French doesn't really, you know, doesn't translate. More mournful. He's marching slowly, more mournful. Okay, so we'll just translate for the audience who hasn't seen it yet. They're yelling at the orchestra to do it slower over and over again, and it's fucking great. That's big cello, man. Mm. Big cello. Big cello. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and... Producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Staircase, the adaptation available on HBO Max? It is a scripted series based on what I consider to be the Citizen Kane of true crime documentaries. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this new adaptation of The Staircase? Uh, I'm sort of like ambivalent about this adaptation of The Staircase because I feel like, number one, The Staircase, how can you duplicate that? That was one of the greatest you know, me with my defense background, I loved the access that we had to the defense angle and the whole case, you know, it's up there in the upper echelon of true crime documentary. So like, why do we need a new version of it? Colin Firth, who I have like a super crush on in every other movie, looks ugly and non-handsome in this movie. The best scene is when there's an empty nester party and like Kathleen jumps into the pool in a drunken stupor. Um, That was kind of entertaining. So I found the pace of this slow in the beginning. It did drag. I had to start it several times before I could get into it. 
But later episodes, I really did enjoy where we got into the owl theory, where we got into the relationship between Michael and one of the documentary makers. And I mean, I'm going to give it a mild thumbs up, but I think that it was, I mean, the staircase we know is long. The staircase remake didn't need to be this long. It was, it was okay. I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but I guess I just feel like you really can't recreate the original because the original is just one of my favorite true crime pieces of media. And I just don't know why we needed to recreate it. Toby Ball? Yeah. You know, first of all, if you haven't seen the actual staircase documentary, I would suggest spending your time on that rather than this. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not the worst, you know, if that's a recommendation, you know, it's, it's got some good acting. I, I just don't know why it was necessary especially if you've watched the documentary, I didn't feel like I got a whole lot out of this. The stuff that I was interested in seeing, Rebecca now tells me was kind of a BS sort of fictionalization of something. <laughs> so what little enthusiasm I had was just ripped from me. Uh, so I guess I'm a thumb sideways. Like I, I can't really recommend it, but it's not horrible. But again, it's it's like... Why not just watch the documentary? If you haven't watched the documentary, watch that. Like, that's classic. It's like A-plus stuff. This is like B-minus. Like, you know, don't don't settle. To be clear, part one you're talking about of The Staircase, right? Uh, yeah, staircase, I don't, I don't really one. count the second part as, <laughs> you know. The original episode. The, the original epi- episode. Yeah, I'm a purist. Yes, yeah, same. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I'm going to push back a little bit on my panelists. I don't think we should be asking the question of why was this made? I don't think that is relative to a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I think the question should be, was this made well? And we have certainly seen stories retold on different platforms, podcasts, documentary, dramatized, and we try not to compare them with one another, although that can be hard. I think that this takes a classic story and... Using that source material, I think, comes up with a really great dramatization that can sustain a couple of different episodes. I mean, I think there are so many people that are not going to watch 12 hours of a documentary, but will watch a prestige television series on HBO to get the story. That may not be true for people who watch Tiger King and then want to rush to watch Joe versus Carol. I think that this is, in and of itself, a pretty good series, and I can't wait for the series finale on Thursday. Okay, so I'm conflicted, right? Because I do like this, so I'm going to give it a thumbs up. But I fear that people are going to watch this and think it's the truth of the story, and that really bothers me. Just like how in real life, some people watch coverage of real life trials and think they know everything and that's that right and they haven't actually actually looked at contemporaneous evidence or read trial transcripts or actually read the news stories that they then retweet and say i know everything right that is my fear because there are distortions in this that really belie what the documentary does the documentary is so fucking brilliant and I, i will echo what everyone says that like the first episodes of the staircase are extraordinary storytelling you have to watch them if you had it they are not boring if you think documentaries are boring this is the one documentary that will change your mind about that you have to watch them that being said this is entertaining for me 
I think it gets better. The first couple episodes are a little slow, but it gets better and better and better. When it gets better is when Tony Collette is in it more. That is my unifying theory of this series because the more Kathleen Peterson is in it, the better it gets. Also, the more the sort of point of view of like, you know, not making the film, the scenes and the things, but cutting it, whatever, but the sort of more like the film starts interfering with the case, that gets interesting to me too. But I think that when Kathleen Peterson sort of makes the appearance, that's stuff we've never seen before. The documentary obviously couldn't have shown that. That to me is when this starts to sing a little bit. And now I'm entertained by it. So I have to give it a thumbs up, even though it does worry me, kind of like the to die for effect that people will watch this and think this is what's true. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. The week. They're all shook up in Las Vegas. Now that lawyers want to prevent Sin City's chapels from doing Elvis-themed weddings. What? Authentic Brands Group sent cease and desist letters to several chapels claiming they're not licensed to use the king's likeness. Wow. Weddings are a $2 billion business in Vegas. One chapel says it does more than 6,000 Elvis-themed ceremonies a year. The letters don't have the force of law and aren't aimed at any Elvis impersonators or stage shows. But the move might just be one for the money. Suspicious minds (laughs) think the company is hound-dogging, trying to force the chapels into paying licensing fees. Some have transitioned to generic rock and roll weddings. Others are waiting to see if Elvis will be leaving their buildings. Panel, it's now or never. Gotta sing it. Come on, sing it. I don't know that one. Anybody know that one? No. It's now or never. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. Okay, Panel. It's now or never. If these Vegas wedding chapels can't use the king, what is their plan B? Lara Bricker, what do you think? I'm voting Toby Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, what do you think? They're going to get disappointing returns on that one. What do you think plan B is if these Vegas wedding chapels can't use the king? Axel Rose, of course. Oh, ah. yeah. What do you think, Kevin? Well, they won't have to change any of the signs if they change to Elvis Costello-themed weddings. Oh. It's great if your name is Allison or your grandmother with dementia is named Veronica, but otherwise, it's just a lot of songs where you complain about your ex or Margaret Thatcher. Huh. What about the other greatest Vegas residency in the history of Vegas? Tom Jones? No, Wayne? I am the greatest Wayne singer Newton? in the history. History of the world, the Celine Dion themed oh, weddings. Oh, God. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> have the Celine Dion themed divorce. Go on and on. All right. All right. Well, that should do it for us. Um, Lara Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and give you their plan B's uh, for their Toby Ball themed weddings, how can they find you on Twitter to send you pictures of what that might look like? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And I would encourage, like, Flat Toby to be a guest at any of our Crime Writers on listener weddings that are happening this season. Oh my God, that would oh, be flat so Toby amazing. Wedding crime passion. writers on themed weddings. Oh. Even <laughs> oh, no, imagine. don't give people ideas. No. no. People want to reach out to you so that you can get your minister's license and officiate their crime writers on themed Groom, weddings. thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, we got to get those crime writers on like napkins and tablecloths. And- yeah. That's right. How can they find you on Twitter if they want ideas for that, Toby? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, you'll also be willing to uh, get your license and officiate some weddings, won't you? Absolutely. How can people find you if they want you to do that? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm not available to officiate weddings, but I will encourage my husband to do so. You can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and please join our incredible community in our official 
Crime Writers on Facebook group. Just go to our regular Facebook page, find us on Facebook, and hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get our four podcasts that we make there. They are all awesome. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. Who's that? This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where everything is pure filth. Pure tea filth. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. So you should rent an office. That's a great business expense. Yeah, except that I don't... What would I use an office for? It's a nice place to hide. Not everyone needs a place to hide, Laura. I'm trying try not <laughs> to hide. That's the whole thing. I'm trying to be out there. Laura, needing a, needing a place to hide is a very unique problem that we don't all share. Okay. La- Laura sees the advantage of working from home that now you can go out and get an office. Yeah, I like yeah. it because I'm like, I need to get I need to go to the office. She's playing office. She's like, it's, it's like, it's like playing, playing house. house. Yeah. Uh, she wants to run away and join the office. Yeah. <laughs> Partners in, in crime, crime media. media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.